Uh, we've been looking at extravagant lovers of God for the last uh, few weeks. Um, and I just want to start, before we go any further, to remind us of this. We only love him because he loved us first. We only loved him because he outrageously died on a cross for us. While we still hated him, while we didn't like him, while we didn't even know him, while we didn't want to do anything with him, he says, do you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to come to this earth where they didn't have fridges, didn't have Netflix. Can you imagine going back 2,000 years? I mean, what, what a time to choose. I would want my fridge. No, I would want my freezer. I'd want my car. I, anyway, Jesus chose to come back 2,000 years ago, or well, the Father chose 2,000 years ago, and not only to live in a culture where it was stank, and they didn't have deodorant, and they didn't have toothbrushes, no, no, I, I find it bad. Um, he came to die on a cross for us because that is the audacious leather, the extravagance of his love for us. So I just want to pray and then uh, I'll get on with what I'm going to talk about today. So Father, I pray this morning that we would have an encounter with your love. We know that we are defined by your love. For our, our salvation is defined by you. So God, right in this meeting, right now, we just say everything is up to you. You are Lord of this meeting. You are Lord of our hearts. You are Lord of our minds. You are Lord of our destinies. You are Lord of our bank account. You are the Lord of our family. You are Lord of everything we do. And we submit ourselves to you afresh this morning. Just say, God, have your way. Have your way in us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you just impart. You impart what you want to say this morning. More than that, Father, I pray that Holy Spirit, you would impart your love. Immerse us in your love this morning. Immerse us with that goodness. Let us be able to reach out and touch you. Let us be able to reach out and feel your Holy Spirit. Fall on us afresh. Fall on us afresh. We want to hear you. We want to hear your voice. We want to hear your voice. Oh, I don't want to say amen because I just want it to continue. Holy one, holy one, holy one. Amen, amen. Okay, are we, sound guys, we're giving up on this handheld. I mean, on this, on this thing. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Stuart. Could you untie me? <laughs> I hate wearing that thing anyway. It's, I feel like I need to break into song and dance or something. Um, Right, so the next slide, we're going to move on slightly this morning, and I'm going to talk slightly on the three pillars of discipleship. For those who are new to Revive, or those who need reminding in Revive, uh, we have three pillars of discipleship within the church. They are life in circles, life of service, life of outreach. And we hope that wherever you connect into church, into Revive Church, you will get all of these three elements in some level. may not be you know, you might get more life in circles, you might get more outreach or less of this. But what we hope is that wherever you connect into Revive Church, you will experience family, friends. You'll experience eating with each other and having a good time with each other. You'll experience the joy that it's better to give than to receive and be encouraged to do so. And the last one, you'll be encouraged to reach out to the lost because if we're not reaching out to the lost, what's the, there's not much point in us being here really. We might as well go to heaven now and, and, and see God face to face. So all those three things, we believe that wherever you believe, wherever you connect with our church, you should be getting. So every revived team and I know this is still aspirational for some of us, every revived team should have these three elements in them. 
Now, what do I mean by a revived team? It could be an, what we normally call a house group. The worship team is a revived team. The children's work team is a revived team. The stewarding team is a revived team. Um, you could have a revived team which loves litter picking. It, it does, all it is is mean that people gather together to have friends, friendship, well, to have friends as well, for those who don't have any, to have friends, to do, to do serving together, and to reach the lost together. Okay, that is, that is our, our vision, that's our, our plan for Revive Church. But I want to just say briefly over those three, they could be summed up in one statement. Love one another. All those three are all about loving one another. Loving each other. When you serve, you're pouring out your life. What are you doing? You're loving someone. It's an act of worship to God. Because Romans says, this is your spiritual act of worship that you pour yourself out. Just like Jesus did. Serving. You're not serving a machine. You're not serving a ministry. You're serving people. That's what it's all about. If we can remember that, but when we're serving and we're coming here at 8 o'clock in the morning for some of us, or in late nights and, and, and all that time that we spend, it's about people. It makes it a lot easier. And life of outreach, well, God loved us when we hated him, so we need to love people while they still hate him. It's, it's the model that Jesus did. Can we move on to the next slide? So, I said it was... Um, those three pillars could be um, expressed in one statement. Love your brother as yourself, or love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks, and we, we probably all know it, about the sheeps and the goats. And he, he talks about these people being gathered before him on judgment day, and him separating the sheeps from the goats. The righteous from the unrighteous. And it says in, in verse 34, then the king will say to those in his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous are like confused, like, what? You're in heaven, Jesus. I never did any of that. When did that happen? And then Jesus says this, then the righteous, uh, the, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Do you know what? Prison ministry is absolutely amazing. Prison ministry is amazing. I, I've been into a prison twice, to, not because I did something wrong, I've been into prison twice. <laughs> and... To be honest and frank, and I won't mention who they were, I went in with a second-rate preacher and a second-rate worship team who normally, we wouldn't have them on the stage here. And yet I was, I was in this meeting as, as a part of a mission team and the message was okay, but oh, the glory of God just fell. The glory of God just fell in the room. And I'm there on my knees thinking, I'm supposed to be part of the ministry team and all I need to do is repent and get right with God and the priest's presence is so thick. And so with one eye, I look to my right with the rest of the ministry team in and they're doing the same. So I think, well, that's all right, but let's just look at the people. And there was about 200 prisoners in the service and over two-thirds of them were on their knees crying. And I was thinking about this and the other day and Jesus said, well, I said, I was in the prison. I am in the prison. I am in the... When you go to the prison for Jesus, he is there. We get a sense of his presence when we meet together, when we worship him or we pray, and his presence just invades the room. 
But there's a, <laughs> there's a greater presence when you do that, when you're reaching the lost. He says, I am there. I am there. And I, I just went through, I haven't got time to go through it, but I went through all these occasions where I've gone to people who were needy and just been amazed at how the presence of God has turned up. And it's just like God was saying, well, it was in my book. Didn't you read it? When you go to the poor, I'm there. When you go to the prison, I'm there. When you go and feed the, feed the hungry, I'm there. Anyway, that's a side issue. That's not really what I want to talk about. Um, so stop distracting me, you. Um, so to love God and to worship God, one of the things is to pour your life out for the needy or for those who have a need. That is our worship. But I don't know about you. I read a passage like that and it's a bit overwhelming. It's a bit scary. I'm thinking, all right, well, I, I, I was in New York um, last week, just to rub it in, no, two weeks ago. And... Uh, I remember just walking along the streets of New York and thinking, well, it's not many beggars here, not like we get in London, and then I, then I met a few. Um, but then I, re- I read a passage like this, and I think, do I have to stop for every single person on the street who's asking for money? Do I have to stop for every person who is ill and pray for them? Do I have to respond to every need I meet? Because it's like Jesus is there right in front of me, I, I, I need to minister to him. I, for me, that's how I look at that verse, and I just, it just overwhelms me that it's just too big. And I think, well, okay, well, I, I, could, uh, I could help my neighbour down the road. But then I think, well, they live in the UK, my neighbour down the road. And, well, really, there's, compared to some people in other parts of the world, this guy's really rich. Why would I be giving, you know, £100 to this guy down here when £100 maybe in, in, in some of the countries in Africa would, would help 100 people? And so, it, to me, it just gets overwhelming. I, I don't know about you. But when you look at the Bible, the Bible really helps on this. Because, it, because although the task is overwhelming, the Bible makes it quite simple. Do you want to know how the Bible makes it quite simple? In Acts, it talks about Peter walking down the street. And his shadow, people are coming all the way around from Jerusalem and they're bringing all the sick and needy people from all around the region just to put some on the streets of Jerusalem so that maybe Peter's shadow will fall upon them. That tells me something. Peter's not stopping for everyone. Otherwise, there'll be a queue. They know he's going to walk past and he's not necessarily going to stop for him. Well, I'm going to get there and just be near him. So if, if Peter's not stopping for everyone, then I don't need to. I find that really releasing. I don't know about you. And then I think about uh, the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. And for those who don't know, it was this healing pool in, in Jerusalem. And there, it would be crowded with lots of really needy people who needed healing. Jesus walks into that environment with all these people needing healing, walks around, talks to one person, suddenly feels compassion for that person and prays for that person. That person gets healed and then he disappears. Now, if we did that, we'd be like tweeting it and say, right, come on, it's, it's, it's revival here at the pools of Bethesda. Come and get your ticket and roll up and all that kind of jazz. But Jesus didn't see the need. He loved one person doesn't say that person was the most needy person there. One person, and then he moved on. So if Jesus didn't stop for everybody, I don't need to stop for everybody. There was 200 million approximate people on, on the planet at the, mo- at the time Jesus was around. I worked out that um, that means that someone was dying every 10 minutes. I know that sounds a bit morbid, but one was dying every 10 minutes. Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the death up from the death how many people did he walk past how many funerals did he walk past on his way he didn't stop for everything 
He didn't stop for every need. And I know when I started uh, doing pastoral work within the church, I wrote this down because I thought it was good. I learned quite quickly in my church pastoral life that if you follow the needs and demands of the people, you'll be run ragged and be ineffective. You get little fruit with much effort, but when you follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit, you get great fruit for little work. Jesus quite often moved on when revival was in full flow. He didn't heal everybody at all occasions. Sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't. Don't let the devil set your agenda. Don't let guilt set your agenda. Don't let people all say, do you call yourself a Christian? Don't let that lie come in and change your destiny or your walk. There will always be a better way to love people, spend your time and money in the eyes of the offended. I'll say that again. There'll always be a better way to love people or spend your time or spend your money in the eyes of the offended. Jesus put it this way, you will always have the poor. What's the context of that? He sat, I think he sat anyway, and, and this lady is, is, is wasting, as some people say, a whole expensive bottle of perfume on his feet to wash him. And Judas Iscariot, who we know is the one, oh, who put that there? Judas Iscariot, who we know is the one who's going to betray him, says to Jesus, what a waste, what a waste. And Jesus said this, you will always have the poor. Don't let the offended direct your steps. Okay, so how do you do that then? How, how, do, you, how do you love people? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is, you love the one. Ignore the crowd, love the one. Jesus did it all the time. If that helps you, love the one. Forget the crowd, love the one. The second thing is this, minister out of love. So in the Gospels, before many of the miracles, there's this phrase which goes before it. And it says this, Jesus moved by compassion and then he did something. Jesus moved by compassion and then did something. Now, how would they know that Jesus was moved by compassion? How would they know that? How would the Gospel writers know that? Who knows the inner workings of the heart? Well, I've got, I've got two reasons which I've come up with and I think they're both right. And if you don't like him, that's fine. Uh, the first is this. It was so apparent on, on Jesus' nature, you could see it on him. That he was so filled with compassion, maybe there was a tear, maybe you know, he was bent over double. It was so apparent on him that you could see the compassion. My second reasoning is this. Jesus told the disciples that's what was happening. And the disciples thought it important enough to tell the, the people who wrote the Gospels, you need to include this. See, when I'm looking at all these um, things of people being healed, I'm saying, well, how did Jesus do it? Did, did, he, did he have a healing line? Did, did, he, did he put his hands up here or down there? Or what did he say? What formulas, what, what tactics or strategies can I get out of it? And yet the most important thing the Gospel writers put before is, he moved out of compassion. More important than your technique is the compassion. I believe it was both. I believe... And you, you, know, you can disagree with me if you like. I, I, I think that the compassion was so evident on his face and it was so key to these miracles happen that it's mentioned. Corinthians says this, at one point prophecies will, will stop, tongues will stop. In other words, skills will stop, but the most important thing, love, will not. 
because love is the most important thing. Okay, so what does a life poured out in love for other people walking in the power of the Holy Spirit look like? Because I haven't really given you much to go on so far, haven't I? I said, you need to love people, but just love one, move out of love, and, well, I want to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and not do it in my own way. What does it look like? How can I use it? So I'm going to spend the next 10, 15 minutes first painting a picture of how Jesus did it, then telling you how I've done it, and then I'm going to tell you how you can do it. Is that all right? So stick with me. It will get very practical, but it's going to go a bit, you know, inspiration to start with. And then, uh, and then right at the end, I'd love just for the love of God to fall on this place. That's what I really want. But there we go. So if you, if you turn with me to Mark 6. This is the template I use for ministering in the Holy Spirit. And we're going to start from verse 30, but I'll tell you the context. Jesus has just sent his revived team out, as in the 12, the apostles. He's just sent his revived team out on mission. Incidentally, I think we should, uh, you know, when you think revived team, don't think Acts 2 so much. Think about the, the 12, because that's what a revived team should look like. What did the 12 do? That's what we should do. So he's just sent them out on their first missionary trip. He told them to carry no money, no food, no change of clothes, and they walked there. So they're coming back to Jesus, who's ministering on the, on the shores of Galilee, and they're probably very tired, probably quite hungry, probably got lots of stories and really exciting stuff happened, but they're exhausted. We've also just got the news that John the Baptist has been executed by King Herod. Now, a lot of Jesus' 12 were disciples of John the Baptist, and they knew him. So this will have hit them hard. So you've got a group of guys who are tired, exhausted, and probably a bit in mourning, arriving back to Jesus. So we pick the story up in verse 30. The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded, secluded, secluded place by themselves. I've read that because I want to make sure that we are all clear what that's just said. This is the plan as far as I see it. Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. They're not going to start building houses. It's not to have a gym workout unless that's what causes you rest. The plan is from Jesus, who does only does what the Father sees him doing, who lives his life every step in the power of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. This is the plan he's just given the disciples. We are going away across Galilee, and we're going to get away from everybody, have some food, and get some good R&R. What's Jesus doing? He's got compassion on his revive team. He's got compassion on his friends, the 12 he sent. And he sees their needs and says, we need to meet this need. I'm going to stop this ministry which I'm doing. And now out of compassion, I'm going to get these guys on a boat to the other side of Galilee. Can we all agree with that? That's, that's what's happening, yeah? Well, let's see what happens. Verse 33. The people saw them going. And many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. 
When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late. Now I'm going to stop there. So that's the plan. Does the plan come out in verse 33 and 34? That's planned by Jesus himself. This is what we're doing. This is where we're going. And it looks nothing like that when they get there. In fact, it's kind of like the opposite. So catch this. On one side of the lake, Jesus is there and he changes what he does because of compassion towards the twelve. He's doing something and he changes what he's doing out of compassion for the twelve. They get in a boat. They know their plan. They can see what's going to happen. They're going to just have some rest and grab some food probably from a local town and they're just going to chill out for a bit. And yet as they go towards their destination or as they go towards their vision, as they go towards their dream, which they think is inspired by God himself, circumstances change and when they arrive, it is different to what they had planned over there. And catch this as well. Jesus decides over here, it is wrong to be praying and ministering to these people but they have a short boat ride, which I don't call a rest, or a, or, a, or a trip to McDonald's or anything, and they get to the other side of the lake, and suddenly, oh, sorry, sorry, 12, yeah, I know we said we're coming over for some rest, but actually we're going to get back to exactly what we were doing over there. You've just had to get a boat from one side to the other. Catch this, because this will break chains in this place this morning. Catch this, because this will change the way you think about following the Holy Spirit. You hear the voice of God. Yet as you move towards the destination, things can change. Some of you, you've been moving towards the destination. Maybe you you moved to hold and you thought it was going to look like this and it's not. And circumstances around you have changed. And you're going back to here saying, did I hear from God? Am I on the right track? Did I do the wrong thing here? If it happened to Jesus... If it happened to the 12, it can happen to you. You're going to be no better than Jesus. Take the weight off your shoulders right now. Things change. Circumstances change. You can have a prophecy over here, and yet when you get to it, it is different. There are people here, and you've given up a job, and you thought it was the right thing to do in this season, and it was the right thing to do in this season for the right reasons, and then you've gone on a little journey with God. Then over here, you're being offered that job back, and you're going, I can't take that job back. I, 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 over there, I gave it up. And God's saying, take it, take it. That was that season, but now you're in a new season, and you can take the same job back up which you had in that season. Oh no, but God spoke to me over there. Yes, but God's speaking to you here as well. This just frees up our theology, don't you think so? Oh, no, I've got a word, I've got a word, I've got a word. I've got to follow the Holy Spirit. Yes, but you don't know all the details. You haven't seen the whole picture, and it's fine not to see the whole picture. What was the Holy Spirit doing? Getting the people enough information to get them from here to over here. Did Jesus lie? No, that was his plan. He didn't know the whole story. Neither do you. There are people, and you've given up ministries. You've given up a ministry over there because you knew it was wrong to be doing it in that season. But you've been on a journey, and now God's telling you to take up that guitar again. 
to get back into that ministry again. You've had that boat ride. You thought you were going to get a rest and all you had was a little journey. But now it's time to take that ministry up again. Let the chains come off this morning. Don't beat yourself up because it wasn't what you looked like. It wasn't what you thought it would look like. Did you see this before? It's like Jesus made a mistake. Jesus didn't seem to know the whole picture, but he responded to what the Holy Spirit was saying to him. He had no compassion for the crowd on that side of the lake, but now when he moved over there, suddenly he has compassion for them. And his whole compassion for his 12 seems to have disappeared. He's now working them. But there we go. So then what happens? Verse 35. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate. Well, we know that. That was the plan. Get to a desolate place. And it is already quite late. Send them away so they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, what they're really saying is, Hey, you promised us food. There is no food here. We're working. We want some food. They're just being a bit polite about it. Maybe a bit English about it. And then we get verse 37. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> they haven't got food themselves. And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread? And the story goes on, and I'll, I'll skip it for time. We get to the feeding of the 5,000. Over here, catch this, over here. What did the apostles need? Food and rest. They wanted food. What happens over here? Well, they follow, as I'm going to call it, the pathway of love. Jesus being moved by compassion on, on all these steps. They get over here, and it's not like what they thought. They're probably thinking, oh, how long is this ministry time going to go over for? And yet they feed the 5,000, which is an amazing experience. And then it says there was 12 baskets of food left over. Who were those 12 baskets for? Well, there was 12, 12 people over there who wanted lunch, and now they've got a basket full. They got what they were supposed to get. They just didn't know how they were, they were going to get it. Next slide, please. Now this, I saw this in Ephesians, and I'm going to read it from the, the Living Bible because it just really pulls it out. This is Paul praying to all, all believers. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's so great you will never fully understand it. Try and get underneath what it's saying. It was written in, in old Greek and it's been translated, so it's normally quite clunky. You, may you experience the love of Christ right over there, over there, over there. Though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. And what happens when you experience the love of Christ? Then you are filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. There's this... The disciples, they've been here, they've been experiencing the love of God. Over here, they have the power to, to feed 5,000 people. They've got, they have no bread and no loaves. I mean, no bread and no loaves, no loaves and no fish. And yet still over here, they end up with a basket full. Now glory be to God, by his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish more than we could ever dream to ask or hope over here, I just want a meal. Over here, I just want a meal. But when I follow compassion, when I follow love, I get over here and as I pour out my life, I not only get a meal, I get a basket full and I get to partake in an amazing story which is going to go down generations. Yeah. Do you see it? 
Show me the next slide. When you experience the love of Christ, I'm going to put that in with compassion. You won't fully understand it. Don't worry that you don't understand it. But if you allow the love of Christ to flow through you, you'll be filled with his power and you will see things happen more than you ever dared dream, hope for, pray or imagine. What's the key? Love. What's the key? Moving with compassion. What's the key? Allowing yourself to be full of God's love and his power and just going, Holy Spirit, we made the plan over there, but if you're going this way, I'm going this way. You, I might have thought I was doing the right thing over there, but I'm going to go this way now. Think about it within, within leadership, within churches. You'll get a leader, and you know, sometimes it's me, we make a great plan here, and I think we're right on task, and I've heard Holy Spirit. Then we get to this place over here, and I'm thinking, actually, Holy Spirit's talking to me about this area over here now. We're just going to park that for a bit because we're going to go this way. If Jesus can do that, so can leadership. If Jesus can do that to his followers, they might have complained and moaned, but they were just about to experience something greater than they ever thought of or imagined. A change of direction is not necessarily sin. It's not necessarily bad leadership. Where did that come from? I don't know. Anyway, so stories. Let me, let me tell you when I first recognized this at work in my life. I was a drummer at a worship conference in Bredav. And uh, suddenly, just Jared just pounced on us all, the whole worship team. Oh, yeah, you're now going to be in the ministry team. Get two minutes, and then you're going to go out. And it, I can't remember what we're praying for, but you're going to go out and minister to this crowd. And so immediately, I'm thinking, oh, dear. Wish I prepared, wish I knew, not sure what I want to do, hands sweaty, all that kind of um, apprehension going on. But I just quieted myself down and I looked out towards the crowd and this, there was this one lady about halfway down the room and suddenly I just felt this, I explain this, compassion. I just felt drawn to her. I didn't get any words saying, you must go to this lady. I didn't even get the thought. I just felt something, compassion, so I did the, um, well, the unscary thing, and I kind of made my way towards her. I prayed for this person. Nothing really happened. Prayed for some of this one, and as far as I know, nothing really happened. Prayed here. I'm really going for this person over here, but I'm just carrying on going, praying and praying. And then I get to this woman here, and as soon as I touch my hands on her head, it was as though heaven invaded earth. She was immediately on the floor. I couldn't see because my eyes were full of tears. I don't know what happened. It's beyond my comprehension, but I know this. I followed the pathway of love, and something happened greater than I ever imagined, hoped, or experienced. We, I was on a, on a mission, and I won't mention the church because of what I'm going to say. Um, we kind of got a bit into trouble because we were there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And on Sunday morning, I was pulled in in front of the church leaders um, because they had many complaints about our ministry. We were just going right through the crowd and, and seeing lots of people filled with the Holy Spirit and lots of people running out the room and all that kind of thing. Very scary for some people. So anyway, I'm in this meeting and, and I go, okay, what we'll do is we won't go to anyone for ministry. They'll have to come to us. And I had the youth with me, so I was like, I'll let the youth go out. And like, they didn't think that was scary. But I thought, eh, you don't know what you're letting yourself in for. Anyway, so we let the youth, but all, all youth leaders and, and, and me, we had to stay where we were because... I'd given this arrangement to the church leadership that we weren't going to break it. Well, so there I'm standing there. And, and the meeting's going on. It's quite interesting. One or two people have come up for, for ministry. Some other people have run out the door as soon as we started, quite fast, scarily. Anyway, and then uh, there's this lady over there, and I can see her. 
And I know I feel that pull of compassion, like I felt for that lady over there. And I know I have to go and pray for her, but I've made an arrangement here not to leave this, this place, and she's not coming. She's actually, I think she's on the floor already because you've already had a good, good go at her. So, so what do I do? Well, the plan I made in the office, I'm not sticking with. Because on this occasion, for this one, not for the crowd, but for this one person, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for him. And I'm going to minister love. Why? Because I'm following what the Holy Spirit is telling me to do, even if it might get me in a bit of trouble. Now, when you do that, you better be right. (laughs) So I did. Now, I'm not saying it was my prayers because many other people prayed. But that lady had MS. She had to walk with walking sticks. She got up, started walking across the hallway. Then she goes and chucks the walking sticks in the back of the car. That week, she's swimming for the first time in years. (sighs) Okay, I've just looked at the time. Um, Speed this up. I follow compassion. And I can tell you story upon story where I, where I follow the compassion of God. It's not this great, you must go and do this, Chris. It's this, I feel this compassion and I must act on this compassion. And then you see heaven break out. But I understand that a lot of you won't have those situations. So this is one you will, you will all have. You will walk in here and you'll spy Byron. We don't have a Byron, do we? We have a spy Byron over, over there somewhere. And we're thinking, oh, Byron's looking really sad today. He's looking upset. He could do with a good... A good Shoulder, shoulder, arm around his shoulder, that's the one. He could really do with some, some ministry or all. And so we go, God, please will you be with Byron? Please send someone along to help him. Let your love just surround his heart. And then this is God. What are you giving me this back for? I just gave it to you. You were supposed to be the answer for Byron. Okay, I'll go and use someone else. I'm not saying don't pray for people. What I'm saying is this. God often gives us a burden to go, or you could call it compassion, to go and do something. Don't wait for someone else to do it. You're the one who's been given that burden of compassion. How else can we see it? Well, you find out within your Revive team that one of your guys has just, their washing machine is just broken. And... um, well, they don't have enough money to fix it. So you pray about it, pray that they'd have enough money. But then, if it was me, the scripture in James would come to my mind where it says, if you pray for something and you have means to help that person in their need and you don't give them the means you've got to help them with that need, your prayer is useless. I'll just leave that one with you. <laughs> well, what about if you felt compassion for that person and you organised whip round? I'm not saying making it up. I'm not saying it's always a massive, big compassion. I'm saying God's not going to really judge you for not helping someone two countries away. What he's asking you to do is help the person on your doorstep, the doorstep of your heart. Forget the crowd. Who's God telling you to love? Maybe it's just in the office. And you, you just sat there and, and you just feel, because this is, this is it, you start, start to tuning in to the love of God. This is what I mean by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what I mean by I heard the voice of God. Sometimes it's just this. I just get this feeling of love, of compassion. So you're there sat in the office and, and, and you just see 
Youth Derek. Derek, Derek's there by the coffee machine. And you think, hmm. I'm just feeling compassion towards Derek at the moment. I don't really know what I'm doing because I never fully understand what I'm doing. So I'm just going to go over to Derek and I'm just going to start talking to Derek. And there and behold, he tells you something and you end up praying for him. Or, there, or that you start inviting him to church. Or maybe you just sit down with him and have a chat. What I'm saying is this. When you feel compassion and you start to tune in when it's compassion from God and not guilt, when you feel compassion and you follow it, Things can happen greater than you ever imagined or dreamed. Can we stand? Heather, can you quickly come back? Now, I am putting in a health warning. Don't be guilted. Don't be conned. If someone comes to you within this church and says, I need money for a washing machine. Have you got any? It's not about being guilt-tripped. It's not about being conned. Forget the crowd. Forget the needs and demands of people. Tune into what the Holy Spirit is saying and allow yourself to move in love with the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says this, let the Spirit lead you in every part of your life. Every part of your life. So when you're at work tomorrow, this should work. When you're at home having lunch around the table, this should work. I had one and I was just coming back uh, down my street and one of my neighbours is in a wheelchair and I just felt compassion to go and pray for him. Long story short, I didn't even get to pray for him. But I know, I, I went and I saw, I don't know what happened, but all I know is I moved in compassion. I walked in the leading of the Holy Spirit and as you keep tuning in and leading to it, it gets louder, it gets louder, it gets louder.